Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, host of the Love You Even More podcast. I'm an author, performer, producer, and Emmy Award winner. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can love yourself even more. Follow us for daily updates at Love You Even More podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. For more on myself and the podcast, including ways that you can love yourself even more, go to loveyouevenmore.com. Welcome, Stephanie Hamato, to That Girl, the podcast. Stephanie is my long-term friend, life coach, spiritual guru. I could go on. She's also an incredible hairstylist and one of my best friends. You've seen Stephanie before. She's a frequent guest of the podcast. And today, we're going to talk about attachment style from our perspective. And actually, can you go into the title of what we're exactly going to do? Because we're going to kind of handle it and angle it differently. It's not like, oh, this is what attachment style is. Like, If you've listened to the podcast, you know what that is. You can definitely hear episodes. We're going to come at it from a different way. So Stephanie, welcome. Tell them what we're doing today. (laughs) Hello, Jackie. Thank you for having me back. Um, Yeah. So like you said, there are four attachment styles, which we have talked about and you have talked about before. Today, we're going to talk more about our specific experience with our attachment styles versus a general overview about what attachment styles are. Uh, I think that knowing the attachment styles and knowing what your specific attachment style is, is so powerful because it's just like another way that we can like deeper understand ourselves uh, rather than just kind of be living reactively to things without really understanding why. So you and I are going to be able to share more in depth about our specific attachment styles. And by the way, you know, none of this is black and white. We all can dip into every single one of the attachment styles in different relationships or in different seasons. Um, But we do tend to have like a dominant attachment style. So absolutely. And we were just having a conversation, you and I, about our lives and our attachment styles. And you tend to associate more with anxious I associate more with avoidant, but a few months ago, I took the attachment test again. I hadn't taken it in like forever, like 10 years. And I turned out securely attached, which actually I do feel securely attached and woohoo. But but the thing is when I hear people say I'm securely attached, I'm like, well, unless you had a perfect, perfect childhood where nothing went wrong, I find that hard to believe. You've got touches (laughs) of stuff. Okay. Like let's be clear here. So I can literally be like securely attached and I actually do come from like healthy places But it doesn't mean that we don't get triggered, right? We get our like original, you know, avoidance on my part. And you, I remember too, we were having this conversation and I was like, well, I'm avoidant, but you're like, you sound really anxious though right now. You sound really anxious. And I'm like, you're right. I do think that I started off anxiously attached and switched to avoidant because in my nervous system, it was easier to control the outcome. And I I didn't want to live in anxiousness. I wanted to live in like, you know what? I don't need this. Bye. (laughs) And so that's also kind of how we groove into our attachment styles. So 
what, yeah. would, what would you like to talk about first? Okay. So, yeah. So it's interesting that you bring that up because first of all, ideally we would all be working towards becoming more secure, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be where you can have really fulfilling, happy, healthy relationships that you're not constantly either playing a push pull cat and mouse game or you're not um, just kind of like in total panic and giving all your power away and stuff like that. So uh, there is like a spectrum that we all live on. And so we can all be moving closer and closer to secure. So even if you take a test online and it tells you you're avoidant or you're disorganized or anxious, that doesn't mean that you are doomed forever to be in that style. But it does mean that if you want to become secure, there are some steps like to take um, some growth. It can be really, really helpful to have a therapist who's really well versed about attachment styles and relational trauma and things like that. Uh, Because I think ideally we would all like to have those healthy relationships. Um, So I have a dominantly anxious attachment style. And what that means is There's always like an underlying fear of abandonment. Um, Maybe at an early age, you were made to feel like your needs were either not valid or they were too much, or you had to somehow earn love in order to get the attention that you wanted. And um, most likely you had inconsistent either caregivers or people who met your needs inconsistently. So sometimes they met them, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes you were made to feel bad for them. Sometimes you weren't. And so it can make, it can leave you feeling like anxious when it comes to relationships. There's an underlying fear of abandonment. There's a fear that if you ask for what you need, that you're going to be met with some sort of negative response, something like um, you're too needy or, you know, you're too clingy or whatever like that. And so a lot of us that are anxiously attached can present a little bit avoidant um, because we're actually using avoidant techniques or avoidant tools to cope with being um, anxious, you know, so that can get confusing. And I think that's why I was like, I don't know, Jackie, like, I feel like you might be more of an organized. (laughs) Well, yeah. And like, like I said, we can dip into all of the different um, uh, attachments at different times, but For me, I have in the past and do still sometimes almost like pretend to be avoidant in order to not give away the fact that I'm actually feeling really anxious. Mm. So that can look like ending a relationship or running away or keeping someone at arm's distance because I'm so afraid of coming across needy or clingy or too much or whatever um, that I try to keep things more surface to a degree in order to not ever feel like someone's going to abandon me or someone is going to tell me that my needs are too much. Um, but that is not the same as being actually avoidant. So like someone who's actually avoidant doesn't actually, or isn't actually aware of those feelings coming up in the first place. So it's almost like they were trained from an early age that like overly vulnerable emotions are, they're met with like disgust. So if they had a parent that gave them some sort of like obvious disgust reaction when they had negative emotions, 
they almost involuntarily, as soon as like a vulnerable emotion starts to pop up, it's like it's met with disgust internally. And so they don't even acknowledge that they have it. Whereas an anxious person definitely feels what they're feeling, but they might use different techniques to cope with them. If that makes sense. You just totally like (laughs) described me. I think too. So if, if you're, you know, more in the camp of me where I'm like, no, no, I'm avoidant. It's, it is just definitely coming from an anxious place of not feeling safe and asking for what you need and speaking up for yourself because you are so afraid of going, of being, like you said, called needy or, you know, if these are parents, like parents aren't always going to say like, oh, you're so needy, but they're going to be like, you know, you're selfish or you should yeah. be happy for what you have. Like, so think of things that maybe you felt as a child, not safe about asking for, you know, it could be anything. It, it could have been like, Hey, I really want to be on the soccer team, but like, I'm afraid to ask my parents for money to pay for the supplies or my, you know, whatever. And it's like, so you're just afraid to speak up and that creates anxiousness in your relationship when you're like, I need to say something. So if you're in my camp, um, you know, my avoidance, I think, uh, my avoidance really popped up in my 20s for sure with like after, you know, I had these huge string of like serious long-term relationships, which were like all like little mini marriages. And then I was single for a really long time and I was actually quite non-committal, like very non-committal. And I had situationships because that was perfect for me, right? It's the perfect avoidant situation where you're like, cool, I can be with you, but then I don't have to like have the rest of the messy stuff that goes with it of like emotions and, you know, commitment. And a lot of times people who are non-committal are just, you know, really like hurt and they're just really afraid of, or or if they're choosing non-committal people too, it's a sign that you're probably non-committal. So my avoidance certainly came up in that. Or cutting people off really fast, like dating Mm -hmm. someone a couple of times being like, nope, we're done. And they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, nope, I already know your number. Now, mind you, as I got older, I did get smarter. And so I did know very quickly who was right and who was not right for me. So there was that. But when I was younger, I definitely would like, well, in my 20s, oh, it was such a fun time. Yeah, I would definitely like, I was coming more from my anxiousness, I think. And then it just started to bleed into avoidance. And I would, you know, be anxiously attached to people who were very noncommittal and then I would be avoidant to people who were not, were committal to me. It was really fun. It was a really fun time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a very typical um, dynamic. It's like when one person comes across more anxious in the relationship, it's like the natural inclination for the other person to pull away more. And so that's why you see so many anxiously attached people drawn to avoidant people and vice versa is there is this like push-pull dynamic. Um, anxiously attached people tend to be like people pleasers and they tend to be the martyr. They're used to having to earn love. And so when they're with someone who's avoidant, that feels really familiar to them because they're like, oh, this is a challenge. I have to prove myself. I have to earn their love. And, you know, so there is this like a little bit of like a push pull cat and mouse thing that can happen, which also like reinforces the original trauma (laughs) around why we got anxiously attached in the first place. Um, It is so hard for someone who's anxiously attached to confidently ask for what they need. 
if we could do that, we would probably be secure. We would say, hey, you know, I need more of your time or I need a little more attention or it would really mean a lot to me if you, you know, did X, Y, and Z. And we wouldn't have a whole lot of shame around asking for that. Um, But when you're anxiously attached, anytime you are about to ask for a need or you feel like your needs aren't met, there's so much shame that comes up that we're like, oh, no, no, no. We like, we just need to make them happy and hope that they give us what we need. We, we can't yeah. ask for anything, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. So in, you know, bringing it back to like our own personal experiences with that, I will say a lot of the work that I've done around this, like more recently in therapy and whatnot is learning to actually ask for what I want. And it sounds so simple. Like when you say that, like, yeah, just, just say it, like, what's the yeah. big deal? But I will tell you, it has never brought more. I've never had more like panic in my life than Mm -hmm. thinking about coming to someone and asking for something that like in my mind, they're going to be like, you're crazy. Like, why do you keep bringing stuff up? Like, you know, and I've had relationships in the past where I have been met with those kind of responses. So it has reinforced that idea. But what I've learned is that like, if someone is your person, they are going to be able to hold space for like what you need. Like assuming it's not so out of, out of proportion to like the situation, like whatever, I need you to fly me on a spaceship. Like obviously <laughs> like, you I need to be on SpaceX. Like, <laughs> yeah, like if you're asking for something that is like, I just need to feel more connected to you. And here's what would make, here's what would help me feel that way. Or here's what would make me feel safe, you know, and they meet you with some sort of negative response, like they, number one, they're not your person. Number two, they're not really trying to get to know you and how you work and how they can show up in a way that like helps you to feel safe and comfortable. And like, ultimately that's what we all need to eventually feel secure is to be with a partner that they're secure enough in themselves that it doesn't completely throw them for a loop that you're asking them for something. And, um, and that you feel secure enough in the relationship that you are comfortable asking for what you need. So I would say step one is identifying what you need, what would make you feel more safe and secure. And step two is like finding the confidence, uh, to actually ask for it. I think that goes for both anxious and avoidant because avoidance are like, "Mm, this is too difficult. This is too, I don't want, I don't like this. This feels bad. Just all of this feels really bad. I'm in a jet. And instead holding yourself still and being like, what if you just tried to ask for what you need? And like, maybe it would be a good outcome and not a bad outcome like you're used to or you think it's going to be. That's certainly come up for me a lot <laughs> where I'm like, it's going to be a terrible outcome. And what's so wonderful too is when you do meet the right person who does care about you genuinely and who is hopefully securely attached, or even if they're not, you know, they're still willing to like listen, you know, they do give you that space and they do hold you to to, to be able to speak up for yourself. And it, it is such, I think it's such a gift because if you're not used to getting that, if you're not used to getting the attention that you've always needed and then you start getting it and it's always positive, it's like, wait, what? This exists? I had no idea. And I know for personally in my case, like, you know, I'm in this beautiful relationship where I really get my needs met and it's so, 
like in this moment, I'm just like, how did I get so lucky? Like, I can't believe this is happening to me. This never, ever happened to me. And it's just, it's scary, but also wonderful. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. If you're, I think if you allow yourself to just keep moving through it, even if you're terrified because you're anxious and you're having panic attacks and you're freaking the fuck out, but like, you're like, nope, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna try to just be a little bit more uncomfortable and say what I need and then hope for the best. And like you do and you get a good outcome. And if you don't get a good outcome, I think that's still huge progress for saying what you need. Yes, 100%. And I think the fact that you are now in a relationship with someone who not only like meets your needs, but exceeds your needs. And you both are able to communicate securely about what's coming up for you. And neither one of you meets each other with a whole bunch of like judgment or shame around any of it. It's just such a testament to like how far you've grown and, you know, myself too. And, you know, some of my other girlfriends, like we've been talking about, like, wow, for the first time, we're starting to date people who are not codependent or who are not like love bombing or toxic or gaslighty or whatever. And I'm like, I think this is such a sign that we're moving closer to like being more secure because we don't need to be with a partner who either love bombs us so that we feel secure, right? Like when, when you're being love bombed, you don't have a, a minute to think like, well, are they into me? I don't know. Um, I haven't heard from them in six hours or whatever. There's no time for that because you're just being bombarded with attention, which to an anxiously attached person feels better than the unknown, like better than like, I don't know where they stand or how they feel. We almost like crave that love bombing and we're subject to it because of that. Um, And likewise, even if they're not love bombing, the uh, what's it called? The codependent type person that they're like, oh, I met you and you're amazing. And now I just want to spend all my time and you're my world and everything revolves around you. Kind of same thing is like that person is not necessarily secure on their own either. And so there's some sort of like whatever codependence that happens there. And that's not a healthy dynamic either, even if the person happens to be like a nicer person or whatever. Um, So as we see ourselves choosing partners who are independent and also secure or closer to secure and healthy and all those things, that also proves back to us that we're growing and that we are heading in the direction of being able to be secure in relationships, ask for what we need and all of those good things. Absolutely. And again, like we mentioned, like once you do get secure, which is a beautiful place, you're still going to get triggered, guys. Like this is fine. We're we're not like, oh, cool. I'm perfect now and everything is fine forever. You will get triggered. And so don't think that you've gone a step backwards. You haven't. You've just, you know, something. It's like if someone poked you and it was a sensitive spot of your body, you would feel it. You'd be like, whoa, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Anyway, what's your next note? I feel like you have another note. (laughs) Um, well, I mean, this is kind of more of like a observation slash research idea. Um, so I, having always been on the anxious side of attachment, my love language, my dominant love language is words of affirmation. And it makes perfect sense because in therapy, you know, when we talk about what are some of the tools and some of the things we can do, 
when we're anxiously attached. And a lot of it is asking for reassurance, like letting your partner know like, hey, you know, I really care about you. And I think this is going great. I may need a little more reassurance sometimes. Like, I may need you to tell me, like, I really enjoy being with you. I really want to be with you. Like, you're beautiful, whatever. Um, Those things can help us as we start to trust the relationship more and more. Um, Just that like verbal recognition um, and reassurance can help. And I'm like, well, that's interesting that for an anxiously attached person, they need words to assure them. And my love language is words of affirmation. So I have a theory that has not been tested that um, there may be some crossover and correlation between the different attachment styles and the love languages. So I would love, yeah, thank you. I would love to do like a study. So if anyone out there is listening that would like to hop online and take both tests. So take an attachment style test and also take the love language test and send Jackie or myself the results. I would love to put together. Yes. I would love to put together the data, the data, the data. 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 No, sorry. I always say data. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to put that together and see if there is a pattern that emerges between love languages and attachment styles, because some of my avoidant, avoidantly attached friends, their love language is um, the ones that I know is acts of service. And I'm like, that is so interesting to me because mine, my dominant is words of affirmation. And then my second is uh, most likely physical touch or something. And both of those to me feel very intimate and like very connective and things like that. And no love language is better or worse than the other, but there's a way in which, you know, you can do an act of service without, you know, making eye contact and having close physical proximity. Right. And so I'm wondering if there would be a correlation there too. And I don't know for sure. Obviously I haven't tested this theory and that's why I'm asking anyone out there who wants to help us test this theory. I think it would just be really cool to like pull all that information and see if there is any correlation between them. I would love that, you guys. The emails will be in the show notes. Um, do take the test and then tell us what your top love language and your top um, attachment or your what your attachment style is. I would love to find this out and then we can do a follow-up episode and talk about it because, mm-hmm. huh, interesting. That <laughs> makes so much sense, especially with words and physical, which are my top two. So my top is physical And my second is words of affirmation, which to me are like pretty much on the same level. Like physical just has a couple more points Um, because I I always refer back to the like really classic test, um, psychological test with the monkeys where they like had a baby monkey with like a cloth mama monkey and then one with a like a robotic, you know, metal, like very uncozy mama monkey and like that monkey shriveled up and like didn't die, but it was not good. And that's how I feel if someone like isn't physically like touching me or like we have a physical relationship. I'm like, ah, I couldn't be a monk, you guys. I just couldn't be a monk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I totally relate to that because yeah, there is something about when someone says something really sweet to you or, you know, touches your cheek a very certain way that like it just makes you feel really desired and loved and all of those things that we all want to feel from time to time. 
Um, the other thing I would just mention is, um, well, I guess two more things is for the avoidant friends out there who may totally not relate to the anxiously attached person. One of the, one of the ways that I can describe what it feels like is there's a, a concept called object permanence where, uh, like for babies, for infants, when they don't yet have object permanence. And what that means is if you have like a puppet and they're looking at the puppet and you put it behind a wall, they do not believe that the puppet exists anymore until the puppet comes back from behind the wall. And they're like, oh my God, it's still there. It like blows their mind because they think that they think the puppet is gone forever. It's disappeared from existence. And that is why babies are very, um, what's the word? They have Gullible. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, what is it called? When when you like go to drop off a kid and they have and they freak out, um, they have whatever it's called. One of you out there knows what I'm talking about. Wait, are where, you trying to say um um oh gosh, are wait, like they're they're super anxious for you to drop them off? Like Yes. And there's a word for it. I no, don't know we're Oh my god, now I can't think of it too. We used to say this about my dog all the time. Sorry. <laughs> Because <laughs> okay. she was so upset when we would leave and she would just sit there and wait for us, like just yeah. big sad eyes. Anyway, go on. <laughs> okay. You guys know what we're talking you know about. We're talking, yeah. yeah. And that is part of why uh, little, little kids freak out when they get dropped off is because they don't yet have object permanence. They don't fully believe like mom or dad or whoever is coming back. Yeah. And so it takes time of you like continuing to come back over and over and over again before they really trust that that's going to happen and before they believe an object is permanent. So it's similar when there is some sort of relational trauma, some uh, something, you know, that you developed at a very young age, uh, when it comes to attachment is that you lack object permanence. And so when you're in a new relationship, particularly you like, if, you get anxious because you don't believe they're coming back. Like you might feel great when you're on the date and when you're hanging out with the person and then they leave and you're like, Oh shit, I don't know if they're going to call me. I don't know if they're going to like, maybe I'm never going to see them again. And you know, it's not always conscious, right? Like it's just something that like happens in our bodies where we're like, <gasps> like until one day after enough times of them, like coming back, that we like believe that they're going to be around. And so it's just something to note that like, as, you know, especially for our avoidant friends who like have had relationships with anxiously attached people and they're like, oh my God, like they always want to text. Like they don't leave me alone. Like, like it's like they want to know what I'm doing every minute of the day. Like most of the time, of course, there's very controlling people out there. And so I'm not saying everyone is this, you know, category, but a lot of times it's not they are possessive and like, you know, just like need to know where you're at at all times. It's like, it takes them time to build enough trust where they just like believe that you're still going to be around the next day and a week later and a month later and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, that's so, such a uh, good point. Cause like nothing makes me more annoyed than like someone I'm dating. Who's like really, okay. I'm going to say quote clingy with the text. But like, if you look at it from that perspective, if they're coming from an anxious attachment style, you know, like if you can just kind of, if you're more avoidant or maybe even more secure, you can just kind of hang in there with them to like make sure that they feel safe with you, especially if you really like them. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's totally doable. But that's, I think that's such a great point. 
that you made. Yeah. Well, and I think the way that I frame it now that it's like palatable is I just need consistency. I'm not asking for you to text me every hour of every day or whatever. I just like, if you say good morning, most mornings, just like keep saying good morning, (laughs) you know, like just consistency. It doesn't have to be overkill or, you know, so much, but you know, there's something in like, once you can see some sort of rhythm, some sort of pattern, then you can feel more secure because there's a little, little bit, I mean, you can't, um, there's no certainty in life, but like having just that like little bit of certainty does help when you're anxiously attached. So it's just ways that partners can understand each other better and each other's needs better rather than like putting themselves on opposite sides of the, of the fence or whatever. I agree. Um, I mean, even if you're not anxiously attached, it's if you're having a consistent, you know, routine in your relationship and then that stops, it is disconcerting. And you're like, wait, are they okay? They always text me in the morning. Wait, why did they text this morning? Is everything okay? And like you actually worry because you're so used to it. Yeah. Well, anxiously attached people are hypervigilant. And maybe not like, by the way, I am not anxious in any other aspect of my life. Like <laughs> when I tell people that I'm anxiously attached, they're like, you? Are you yeah. kidding? Like I navigate like business and family and friends and kids, like for the most part, very secure, very confident, like you know, most things don't ruffle my feathers. Like I'm able to be like, all right, turn the page, keep it moving, you know, but when it comes to relationships, like romantic relationships, that's when this stuff comes out. Um, but we are hyper vigilant. And so like what you're describing of like patterns being broken an anxiously attached person is going to notice that immediately. Mm-hmm. And it may mean nothing, right? It could just mean you know, it's a weird day or whatever, but like we are go that is going to be something that's on our radar and like to what degree everyone's different, but things to know. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, cause obviously, like I said, being able to ask for what you need when you're having these ang- anxious things come up is huge. However, uh, one of the best things I've done before asking what I need is trying to get my nervous system back on track first, because and look, <laughs> it's not always <laughs> it's not always going to go super smoothly. Like especially when you're not used to asking for what you need, it might come out a little clunky, and that's okay. But when you come to someone with these things, and you're very activated, and you guys are especially early on in the relationship, you haven't built enough trust and rapport yet, where they're like, you know, know that that's not how you operate on a daily basis. Um, it may come out just like a little out of proportion to what's going on. So I think if you can do exercises like breathing exercises, yoga, take a walk in nature, uh, take a nice long bath, whatever you have to do to get your nervous system to calm down just a little bit and center yourself and then ask for what you need, I think you're going to be setting yourself up for more success Mm -hmm. because you're not going to be coming at it from such a like frantic, chaotic place. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's true of anything guys, just like being able to recognize that you're having a nervous system issue. (laughs) There is something wrong in the control center, um, is how I see it. Just, yeah. Finding, finding your center, doing what you need to do for you, because like you said, it really does center you and makes whatever you might be upset over or panicked over, um, a little bit more digestible where you can kind of get a better handle of like, is it as big as I think it is? 
yes, it is, or no, it's not. And you adjust so that you can actually have a a good conversation with the person instead of, you know, not even being in your body when you're talking to them. I mean, just imagine like you're panicking and you're like, what? and like you don't even remember what they say or you misconstrue what they say. I mean, you're just not fully present. So yeah, I love yeah. that. That's a great note. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's all of my, I think, things that have helped me personally. Um, I also like my word of the year is secure. So that is a big focus for me this year. And I think setting intentions for anything you would like to work towards in your life is helpful. So why not attachment? (laughs) I love that. I love that. I think this was really important. I hope, I mean, we talked a lot about anxious, but you know, I feel like more people are probably going to be listening that are anxiously attached. So (laughs) this is probably good for them. And also, you know, again, like with me, like I'm kind of a little bit of both where I definitely think I started as anxious and still have quite a bit of anxiousness in me because everything you're describing, I'm like, yep, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. But I just, um, but also I, I think that the avoidance is, is not as prevalent as it used to be. Of course, because technically I'm securely attached and which I am like I am, but it is kind of strange to think about when you are avoidant, but then become securely attached, how, how you will just say what you need and how you won't put up with things that you won't put up with. And it's not about being avoidant. Cause as I was listening to you, I'm like, no, I think it wasn't about me being avoidant per se all the time. It was more just like, I know what I'm worth and I know what I need. And that's not it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get going. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so, does sound very insecure. Yeah. So that's like, you know, if you're, if you are more avoidant, but you're healing, that's something to think about too. Maybe you are just making great choices now and you're not running. You're just actively making a choice to move in a different direction and maybe run. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh my gosh, this was great. Tell people how they can find you, my dear. Uh, so the best way is to hop on Instagram and go to at style and smile. Uh, that's style, the letter N, smile, all one word. And if you could please send me and or Jackie your results side by side, you know, um, both to your attachment style and your love language, I would love to compile all that, put it together and then be able to either do like another episode to update you guys or at least share it on social media so you can see the results of that. Ah, I would love to do that. Guys, definitely email us. It'll be in the show notes. Her Instagram will be in the show notes and you can find us there. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Always great chatting. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, sharing is caring. Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there.